The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In today's episode of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Dr. Damien Christoph to discuss health trends, including low fat, weight loss shakes, and the ketogenic diet. Damo also spills the gossip on the next iteration of The Biggest Loser, and I share my thoughts on the previous format. We bust some serious diet industry myths, including the carnivore diet and the impact of social media and taking your advice from someone just because they have a six-pack. We hope this inspires you to not only consider where you get your health advice from, but to learn how to take a balanced approach to real food rather than jumping on the bandwagon of the next health trend. Hi, Damo, and welcome to the show. Hello, Steph. How good is this? Great to be back again. Yes. Thanks for inviting me back again. Thank you. Always good to have you on the show. Now, I was thinking a lot of our listeners might not know um, your entire history, and I know that you used to host a television program called Downsize Me. So I wanted you to start by <laughs> sharing a little bit about that and where that journey took you. Mm, okay. Well, that is true, Steph. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I moved to New Zealand. Um, to study to be a chiropractor and so at that stage Jackson had just turned three years old and in the February of the following year I moved to New Zealand so it was really weird because at two Jackson's mum and I had separated I looked after Jackson exclusively for that whole year and so I was a single dad studying to be a chiropractor in Melbourne and then moved to New Zealand and Jackson stayed in Australia with his mum and so I was kind of like lost and kind of floundering around I was like what am I going to do like here I am over in New Zealand I want to be there with my son back in Australia I thought well if I'm going to be here in New Zealand I better make a bloody good go of it I don't want to stuff it up and I don't want to you know come back having not done much with my time away from Jackson so 
um, I started running weight loss programs and I was running weight loss programs at the back of a chiropractor's office. And then one day um, I got a phone call from a director and she was asking a director of a TV show. Uh, she was asking me whether or not I would write the nutrition plan for an upcoming TV show on food and nutrition. And they were looking for a female nutritionist um, and a male trainer. And I said, oh, that's pretty cliche. Why don't you have a male nutritionist and a female trainer? And they've gone, that's magic. Why don't you come <laughs> into TV3 and come and audition for us? And I'm like, okay, cool. So I drive into TV3, uh, which is the same as Channel 10 here in Australia, um, TV3 in New Zealand, uh, lobbed in had a little chat with them, the production crew, and they said, hey, you sound Australian. And I said, I, I am Australian. And, oh, that's, that's weird. Um, what, you know, what would you do if you saw margarine in a fridge? Like, what would you do? And I go, I'd probably chuck it across the room and yell and scream. They said, can you show us what that would look like? So I said, sure. So I went into their, um, like, little kitchenette area, and they had a fridge full of, you know, I don't know if I can swear on this you podcast, but bad bad food and so i opened up this fridge i went up and got tim tams five minutes on the lips five years on the hips chucked them across the room and they had to duck and then i got the margarine and i chucked out the bin that's just death and then i saw you know coke and i said oh that's black death it's you know death in a bottle and i threw that and it landed in the bin they got this is amazing so they um sent it off to the producer of tv3 and they said we want this guy to be the producer or to be the presenter and um I got the gig and they called me up and said, oh, Damien, look, we want you to be the presenter. I said, oh, what's the presenter? And uh, they said, it's the person that speaks in front of the television. Like, you know, you'll be the person. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I've never done that before. They said, it'll be right. Just be yourself and you'll be fine. So I then filmed a 10-part uh, first season, which was supposed to just be like a, a trial of Downsize Me, but it hit. It was like the top of the pops. Like everybody in New Zealand just they watched it. And, uh, and we're up against The Apprentice and we're up against this other TV show called Coronation Street. And we, um, and we topped the charts. Wow. So we, we knocked off The Apprentice. We, I fired Donald Trump, <laughs> which I love this. <laughs> and, um, and Coronation Street was, uh, you know, played third fiddle um, to Donald Trump and me. And so um, they said, let's do season two, season three and season four. And we did four seasons teaching people how to um, get healthy uh, by eating real food and exercising. Like it was just such a novel approach because so many other things were in the pipelines. You know, there's like protein shakes and there was um, diet drinks and then there was, you know, these little sachets you'd rip open, put them into water and it would suppress your hunger and it'd be filled up with gums that would swell up in your tummy so, you know, you would be satiated. But it was just a really dirty time around the diet industry back then. It's probably it's possibly dirtier back then than what it is now, even though it seems, you know, saying a lot yeah. now, but it was pretty bad back then. It was rank, you know, we're talking 2005 or 2000. Yeah. 2005 was when the show went to air. We filmed it in 2004, 2005, 2006. And then 2007, we finished it. And so we, um, you know, we filmed for a long time and there was lots of different trends that came and went. And the underlying premise for it was to have, heaps of vegetables, heaps of good quality fat and heaps of good quality protein. And people couldn't believe how much food they had to eat. They were full all the time. Um, but they had to eat all of this food and they would drop kilos and kilos and kilos. And 
So we did documentaries and all kinds of stuff with it. They're just on a really simple food plan, you know, almost identical to what you do these days, I reckon, Steph. So it's um, just tried, true, tested philosophies around food and nutrition, which means that you build a you build a, a, a diet around plants and then you add protein and fat. It's pretty simple. I love that this was 2005 and then we see where we went with the examples that you've given (laughs) us around whether it was, you know, low-fat diet, diet pills, weight loss shakes, isogenics, the soup diet, bloody margarine and oil sprays, whatever it's been. (laughs) And then finally we land back on real food. Like, come on. Like, I know it's New Zealand, but it's the same in Australia. Um, The trends are just everywhere and then we look at the way the health and wellness industry is in 2019 and yeah i'd be i'd be surprised if it wasn't equally as bad because it's just horrific at the moment especially with all the quote-unquote experts on instagram (laughs) oh my gosh those freaking experts they just drive me crazy you know anyway just because you get your boobs out and you're in a bikini doesn't mean you know how to make a healthy green smoothie. It might look good, but it doesn't mean that's what everyone's going to do. It's just, it drives me crazy. It really does. Like there's some people out there that are doing a really good job with it, but you don't need to sell food with sex. Like food, mm. food just works. Like if, if it's real food, it'll work. Definitely. And then I think it's really, as I always say, it's about being really mindful who you take your advice from. Um, you know, if we look at, say, the blue zones, it's never about aesthetics and wearing bikinis or having a six-pack. Like, that is the least of their goals, right? And then we see so right. many things being sold online with that aesthetic as basically the sole focus. I'm not saying that you don't, that you can't, you know, want to look good, but, I mean, taking your health advice from someone because they have a six-pack, I think, is the definition of ridiculous <laughs> and it seems to be happening more and more from people that do not even have a degree in nutrition or, um, you know, naturopathy, for example. Yeah, totally. I have joined F45 to, you know, do a bit of exercise just to be um, dedicated to it. I, I tend to find that if I part with the cash, then I go and do whatever I've got to do as yeah. opposed to like doing it you know, ad hoc. It doesn't really work for me. I've got to get that commitment factor in. So um, I'm doing it, but not to get abs, but just to kind of, be part of a community that's moving. I could have done CrossFit. I could have done a yoga studio. I could have done anything. But um, Amber and I decided that that's what we're going to do for eight weeks. We're going to do a little challenge. But what's really interesting about it is I went to the nutrition information component of the night. Did you? And there was two nutritionists. Yeah, I did. (laughs) So I was sitting there um, in the back and there was two nutritionists, uh, one nutritionist who really knew her stuff. Like she was super smart. Um, and use big words, and I understood them, but there's other people that didn't really understand them. They're like, what are you talking about? Um, but she really knew her stuff. And then there was another nutritionist who had no idea uh, what she was talking about. And, um, and it, was, it was concerning to me because there were some things that were being said that just weren't accurate, you know. And so I had to bite my tongue, and Amber's nudging me saying, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. <laughs> At the end of the day, the fundamental plan, the diet plan that F45 provides in their eight weeks challenge is rich in plants, have some protein and have some fat. And um, it's the same philosophy because that's the only thing that works. And um, it doesn't matter what you do. It's the only thing that makes you healthy. And at the same time, 
you normalize your weight. It's not that you lose weight. It's just that you normalize your weight. It's part of your body getting back to being healthy and well again. Yeah, I think they've got some really great principles. And, you know, my intention wasn't to talk about F45, but I think it's a good segue into the calorie conversation because what I disagree with is the generic prescription of calories across the board. And so I get it's a one-to-many program. So obviously at this stage they haven't got Mm. the functionality to prescribe calories to you and to me and to Ian and to Amber and to whoever else has signed up. Um, but I see a lot of yeah. issues. Like I've had many people come to me out of or during an F45 challenge and they're struggling with either not enough or too much. They're struggling with volume that's not been t- um, tailored to them, which goes back to that whole calorie conversation that we've seen through the weight loss and low-fat era. Totally. Totally. Well, you know, they opened up the information session saying it's a calories in versus calories out, out scenario. Like, you know, don't. Don't get us wrong. Um, it's definitely still about calories in versus calories out, um, but it's about the type of calories that you put in versus you know the type of calories that you, you, you take out. So they were saying that it should be better quality foods and that I agreed with. And so kind of let them go with it for a little bit, there, but then to read and find out that I think women are limited to like 1,500 calories a day and men are limited to 1,900 calories a day. Um, that kind of works in a situation where there's significant amounts of excess body fat. Yeah, of um, but if you don't have heaps of body fat, like you can't, um, I can't go that low, like 1900 calories for me. If I did that, I'd lose all the excess body fat that I've got in half a day. So I, um, I've got to be really careful with that. So I'm going to monitor the amount of calories that I've got. But what was interesting this morning when I thought, oh, what do I want to eat this morning? It was, um, some kind of a muesli that you make yourself out of oats and you you stir in coconut oil and then cacao and then um, you sweeten it with rice malt syrup and then you bake it and then you serve it with some fruit and some coconut yogurt. And I was like, what is that? Like I wouldn't even eat that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a cereal magnate and I'm not going to do that. I'm not a magnate. I'm just joking. But I'm a cereal manufacturer and I'm not going to bloody go and eat something like that. That's ridiculous. Like why would I want to cook up those beautiful omega-6 fatty acids went in from their raw state into now a, uh, a cooked adulterated state. So I didn't want to do that. So um, I thought, I wonder what the egg option is. So I had the egg option this morning and it was a four egg omelet, four egg omelet. I'm like, I, can't, I don't eat four eggs. Like I'm not going to eat four eggs. So four eggs with some vegetables. I had a two egg omelet with some vegetables and that was more than enough for me. So Imagine the confusion that there is for these poor people that are supposed to have a limited calorie diet at like 1,400 or 1,500 calories a day. You know, four eggs, I don't know how many calories that ends up being, but just in one meal it's probably closer to 600 calories. Um, It just just doesn't make sense. And then they've got to have these protein balls that are made with rice malt syrup, Um, and then they've got to have these other things. It's just it's all a little bit not right. Anyway, yeah, I, think I shouldn't be ranting about that. Probably. No, no, no. I mean, it raises some interesting points. I think the calorie conversation is a big part of it because that has been the vast majority of the trends and the fads that we've seen in the recent years. And we know that um, shows like The Biggest Loser are even lower calorie diets and we know the repercussions of that. So I, I don't know, you know, I can't say that I've had many conversations of people that have done the, you know, something like F45 and then 
tracked their consistency or their ability to stay at that goal weight long term. So let's just put F45 aside, mm. but in the examples of The Biggest Loser, you know, everybody knows that the weight goes back on plus much more and that's something that we plus probably GST. Plus GST. Um, <laughs> and that's something we're really, really mindful of because um, of the metabolic damage that creates and that vicious cycle that we've that's got to right. get out of. Yeah, that's right. It's very, very important to consider that. The Biggest Loser is coming back. Um, so The Biggest Loser is um, being revisited. It'll be back on television in 2020. Um, and, um, and so that's got to be the nose, Steph. It's the people <laughs> yes, you know. Clearly. <laughs> Lucky you are, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so they're coming back on, um, and they're, they're kind of looking at more of a spiritual dimension from what okay. I understand. They'll be looking at ways in which they can help people with their you know, with their mindset around food and nutrition, their mindset around exercise, their mindset around um, obesity. And so it's probably more uh, of a mental gym uh, with respect to helping people um, shift their mindset of, of who they are and why they're trying to achieve what they're trying to achieve. So um, that's what the Ribbon Mill has. Mm. And uh, so I suspect we'll probably see another iteration of The Biggest Loser. Um, obviously, it's a, you know, it's a, a, a franchised, format um that you know Fremantle media has purchased um and uh they'll make it you know or i think it's what, what's it now called end end or whatever it's a different name now end all. but they're um yeah whatever i can't remember what it's called but they it's going to happen so we've got to almost prepare ourselves for another onslaught of potentially another style of eating you know could it be keto could it be vegan could it be you know, what's it going to be? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I hope that yeah. it's sensible eating. That's, well, that's I mean, the, the last time they relaunched it, so was that last year or the year before? I think the year before. I applied. Do you know that? Not to be a candidate, oh. to be a nutritionist. <laughs> Did you? Wow. You'd know way too much. Mm. Well, I just really wanted to encourage that real food message and I was really hoping they would stop the calorie counting conversation, but they didn't. And then the show was an absolute flop. And I honestly believe that a lot of it is that this this quote-unquote science they're using is so out, outdated and people are so much more savvy than when the show was in its prime. What do you reckon? Well, I do. I think it's that too. Um, but the other thing I think it might also be is that people are sick of people just losing weight. Yeah. They want to see people get healthy. Um, and they go, oh, yeah, cool, great, you lost 65 kilos, but now we're going to see in the Women's Weekly in six months' time with 85 kilos on you, so I don't really give a shit. So they're kind of wanting to see people make a lifelong change or to make some permanent changes which are measurable with their health but also their behaviours. And I think that maybe, you know, this, this new iteration might actually you know, cover that. But it's interesting. It's an interesting um, situation, I think, that um, we find ourselves in that from a voyeuristic perspective, if we've got 68% of Australia's population is overweight or obese um, and we're prepared to watch people on television lose weight, um, really we're missing the point because what we could be doing and I think would be wise to be doing, like you and I, Steph, it would be great if... We were working together on a television show teaching people how to get healthy. Like that'd be amazing. Like That's imagine great. we actually great. taught people how to get healthy. Not like not like um, TV shows that are 
you know, maybe showcase a number of different health approaches and maybe then flog some vitamins and all that sort of stuff, which are great and re- and very much needed. We need um, those sorts of shows to be able to, you know, open people's minds and they need to be at prime time. But we also need shows that actually honestly teach people how to eat well and live well um, and then define their purpose, the reason why they want to do it, like really drill down into that sort of stuff. That's that's what I'm thinking. Um, but uh, hopefully they don't muck up The Biggest Loser again, just for the sake of the people that are watching it, you know. Yeah, well, I didn't watch the last season um, almost out of spite. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, same. We- <laughs> I, I did. I did watch it either out of spite. I mean, you might have told me that you tried out for The Biggest Loser. You might have actually told me that. And, but, but, and I recall there was... I had in my mind a reason why I didn't want to watch it and yeah. maybe you were the reason, Steph. I was like, Well, I got mm-hmm. asked to apply. Like it, it wasn't even, I didn't, you know, I didn't sort of just decide it out of my own um, goals but I got contacted yeah. to apply by, it turns out, um, a client of mine from when I first started practising, I think, um, and he's in that space. Right. Anyway, well, I will watch they chose- the next round. I will watch the next iteration. <laughs> well, I'd like to know what they're doing differently. But uh, yeah. they made a bad choice. But maybe they made a good choice because they did want to destroy your reputation going down with a sinking ship. So, um, oh, I was very grateful in hindsight. You know, yeah. I actually, yeah, during the airing when everyone was sort of unpacking and understanding how, um, unfortunately, how bad it was going. I was very grateful in the end. So I got over my little grudge, let me tell you. I built a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little show um, that was on Channel 10 and I was supposed to be the presenter for that show. I don't okay. know if I told you about this one. So I was supposed to be the presenter of this particular TV show and uh, then they found out that I was a chiropractor and they asked me to not use the title chiropractor. Um, they wanted me to only be a, uh, a nutritionist and a naturopath. And when I say only... I'm just saying that because I have another qualification that yeah. I'm very proud of. I know what you mean. But they didn't want to have that in the media. Mm. And so um, as a result of that, I ended up not being the presenter of that particular TV show. But that TV show also went down after only, I think, 60 or 70 episodes, which is you know probably 10 weeks. So it kind of flopped. Um, and I was grateful that I wasn't on that sinking ship. But they obviously got the format wrong for that too. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. You did briefly mention that chiropractic combo. Um, hmm. Oh, there's so much I want to say about that, but I won't. I'll leave that for another time. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. So what else have we seen in terms of fads? Like what do you, did you have ever, did you ever do or were you aware of a program called Ultralight? Yeah. So my very first foray into kind of understanding how to get people to lose weight was with a naturopath, um, Pat Tyrrell, and he used to practice out of a physiotherapy practice in um, Pat basically drop an eating program for people and said, this is what you've got to do, and then they would follow it and they will lose weight. And because in naturopathy school, we weren't really taught how to teach people to lose weight. Um, we taught something about, of, you know, a little bit about nutrition, but not a whole lot. It's kind of like, oh, how do you help people lose weight? That doesn't really make sense. And don't you just give them herbs and then it all happens? Because, you know, naturopathy was all about prescribing <laughs> and giving people stuff, not actually helping them make better decisions. Yeah. And so I um, I fell into that trap. And he said, well, this is what you've got to do. And so I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool, no worries. And I was studying at the time. I was like fourth year. And so I was just doing my placement with him. Anyway, then I 
looked after his practice when I graduated and I gave a few people some tips on what they could do to lose weight. <laughs> and they put on weight. And so I was like, oh, far out. Maybe they didn't do what they were supposed to do. I'll look at the red so I was like, yeah, I probably would have put on weight as well, like if I'd followed those recommendations. Anyway, so I then thought I'd better learn how to do this. And then um, Tony Lavane, or Tony Lavanis, um, had started this thing called Ultralight. And I thought, oh, I might go along to the introduction session of that. He's a naturopath. He's obviously got something going on here. And so I thought I'd go check it out. Um, and a mate of mine who I studied with, um, his... Uh, uncle was Malcolm McLean. And so Malcolm and Tony had started this particular yeah, company. I know Malcolm, yeah. Yeah, right. So I thought I'll go along and learn it. So I started learning and I was like going, wow, this is like, this is really interesting. This is ketosis. Oh, I thought ketosis was bad. It was, you know, give you kidney stones and blah, blah, blah. And then so I, I then went to um, my friend Brendan Penwarden, who was at Metagenics. I said, what do you think of this stuff? He goes, well, I've heard of ketosis, but... I don't really know if it's safe or good and stuff. Why don't you do some, you know, do some case studies for me and we'll see what happens. So I started writing up these case studies for metagenics on ketosis and we're getting these like amazing results, like people losing weight. And I was going, far out. This is how you help people lose weight. And so it was all about at the time ketosis and keeping the ketones at 1.5 to 4 and, and I thought I was doing a really, really good thing um, by limiting people's calories to like next to nothing and feeding them this powder, which I didn't even know what was in it. And just it was a prescribed supplement. That's what you had to do according to the Ultralight program. And, um, and I was telling Brendan when I... Talking about the sachets? Yeah. The sachets, right? So I thought, I'm going to find out what's in these sachets. And I don't know whether or not I should say on, on this particular program, but I was underwhelmed with what, what was in those sachets and I confronted Tony about it and I said, Tony, the sachets have nothing in them. Like, it's just, I can't believe you're making me pay this much money for what you actually have put in it. Like, it's basically f- flavoured skim milk powder. Yeah, like, milk. What, are you, yeah. what are you flogging? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, no, no, it's like properly scientifically validated, blah, blah, blah. And then other people were also buying these sachets through some, you know, company and you'd buy them in big boxes. And, um, and I thought, I just can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't do this. And I thought, there's got to be a way in which I can help people lose weight. doesn't have to be in ketosis, but there's got to be a way in which I can use the principles that I've learned through putting people through a ketogenic sort of style eating program, but just do it a bit more gently. And so that's kind of where my food uh, rationale came from. Um, I then went and worked with another guy, uh, Cameron Mack, who had a, a really successful practice in uh, Lower Plenty, and he worked on a ketosis model as well. Um, and I liked some of the things that I learned in that, but I also learned that people probably needed more food for longevity as opposed to this really strict calorie restriction that um, that was potentially metabolically disastrous for some people. So I um, I changed my mindset, and um, and here I am today talking about eating whole food, um, and it works. Still. Um, so I don't know if I've shared this with you, but my very first job as a nutritionist out of uni was prescribing mm. ultralight. Really? I don't know that I anyone actually know. knows that, but I would like wow. to formally apologize for all my previous clients oh, as to how little food I gave them because I was oh, me too. to you. Yeah. Like I don't think you're taught enough at university about how to communicate health and wellness to 
your client. So my degree was yeah. quite, you know, obviously science focused and very um, good at the sort of societal level. Like if we talk about obesity as a general disease, but I did not know how to teach nutrition to a person. So I actually really love that program looking back that it gave me the framework to actually be a practitioner, not just a person with a degree that says the word nutrition on it. <laughs> me too. I'm yeah. grateful for what I learned from Tony and Malcolm. I really am. Um, but I'm really apologetic to my patients that I saw at the time because I was green. I was wet yeah. behind the ears still. And so I, <laughs> I didn't really kind of understand what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and so um, I really hope that people um, are okay, you know, afterwards. I'm sure they are and they might have found their way. But it's, yeah. uh, it was definitely a time in my life that um, I learnt a lot. Um, but there's a lot of things that I, that I learnt that I wouldn't do again. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And I think, you know, as practitioners, that's kind of the way it is. You just got to look at medicine and, and look at all the things that they've learnt along the way and the things that they wouldn't do anymore. Well, you it's didn't the same. Look at <laughs> yeah, no, I think <laughs> no, that's right. You've got to have an open mind. Like I, I think we will always look back and think, okay, well, I wouldn't do that now, or I would change that if yeah. I was to, to, to know what I know now. And that's, I think, yeah. actually something to be celebrated because in the medical world, unfortunately, they're all very much like, this is what I learned in my degree, which was bloody 30 or 40 years ago, and they haven't upskilled. Yeah. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the problems and the confusion and the myths yeah. being perpetuated, whereas I can hand on heart say that I'm always learning and I will always be that way. And, yeah. um, you know, I might have been wrong in the past, but at least, you know, I think it's important to really keep up to date with the science. I agree with you, Steph. I really agree with you. And the science sometimes is slow and it's easy as practitioners for us to decide, oh, that looks like a great idea. And there may be an absence or a lack of science. And so we might tread cautiously. And I think it's wise. The wise practitioner will tread cautiously and select what is appropriate for that particular person rather than cookie cutter approaches to um, wellness and well-being. There's a, another, there was another TV show you'll recall, I'm sure, um, around the same time, it came out, I think, almost in the same week as um, as I started filming Downsize Me, and it was You Are What You Eat, and it was with Gillian McKeith. And Gillian McKeith um, was a hardcore British nutritionist um, who looked at people's poo and tried to diagnose that they had meat stuck in their guts for six days and that they had parasites and all kinds of things and she was kind of all over the place and she put people on a vegetarian diet basically um, and tried to give them lots of carbohydrates and vegetarian sort of approaches and what you would see with her results was appalling like the the results that people were getting with their bloods weren't good um they they were getting you know elevation in triglycerides they were getting, you know, fat loss, but, you know, their cholesterol markers were, were getting worse. They were getting infl increased inflammatory markers. It just wasn't that good. But the TV show was fascinating. It was really, really successful because people lost weight and we got to see their poo, which was like just kind of gross people out. But so uh, you had Gillian McKeith. And so poor Gillian, you know, like I think that she's probably a very intelligent, um, intelligent nutritionist, but the the way in which that TV show was actually portrayed and done, I don't think did the full amount of justice to it. 
But there was also another TV show in New Zealand around the same time. There was a, a lady by the name of Nikki Hart, and Nikki was a dietitian. And she decided to go into competition against Downsize Me, and she was putting people on a high-carbohydrate um, bread, cereals, pasta, rice, potatoes, low-protein, low-fat diet. And, uh, and everybody on that TV show got sick. Wow. And, uh, and it, was, it was uninspiring. People looked really fat and tired afterwards. And it was really quite amazing. I can't remember what that one was called, but it was, uh, I think it was called, no, it wasn't called Feed Me, right? It was a book. But they basically, that show got axed. It was on TV too, I think it was. And it just didn't do well. So there's been lots of people trying to give it a go. They're trying to teach people um, the best way to eat. But I think both you and I would agree, Steph, that the best way to eat is to have loads of plants, um, high-quality plants, and yeah. super good-quality proteins and super good-quality fats. That just makes sense. So then I've got a little segue, <clears throat> pardon me, I've got a little segue for us. What do you think about the carnivore diet? <laughs> I mean, how many, actually, firstly, how many, times have you, <laughs> how many times have you been asked that question in the last couple of months? Because I have had text messages coming out of my eyeballs from clients and I am over it. <laughs> well, it's the universal balance, isn't it? Like, mm. So we go all the way to vegan and then to balance yeah. that, we go all the way to chewing the ass off a cow and, <laughs> uh, and being happy. And so... It's, that's not the way it happens. Like we don't have to be that hardcore with it. In fact, it, it, I would anybody who asks me, what about the carnivore diet? I go, well, why? Why would you want to do the carnivore diet? Oh, you know, because blah, blah, blah. Oh, I say, well, if it's just to lose weight, then it'll probably help you lose weight. But if, if you want to get healthy, there's no evidence that it's going to make you healthy. Oh, but this person said there's hundreds of studies about the carnivore diet that makes you healthy. And I'll go, well, show at least one of them to me. Just show me one. Um, because there's no studies anywhere in the world for any other program that that says that a particular diet best diet for every single person on the planet. Yeah. So I don't know how they'd get a diet up, you know, a study up for a diet because they can't prove that vegan's healthy either. So um, there's no no need to go to extremes. Just come back to where we are. Where Steph and I are right now, and that's and build a diet that's got some principles from carnivore, principles from vegan, and then you'll be pretty healthy. Yeah, it's just. What do you think about the carnivore well, diet? I, I look. How can you possibly eat meat for every meal for the rest of your life? Like, just if you think of it, <laughs> you use any principle of longevity, it's a no from me. Because it's a no, for me. It's a no because it, it can't be something that you do forever. So as cliche as it is, and I am a walking cliche sometimes, but it's about a lifestyle, not a diet. So if we then look at where it might work in an N equals one scenario, and I've done the research, I know that in some people who have tried everything, I'm talking they've got a collection of autoimmune diseases and they've tried paleo, they've tried autoimmune paleo, they've tried low histamine they've tried everything where it works for them is as an intervention so they might do it for eight weeks or 12 weeks or one week or whatever it looks like in their world and you might visualize it yep. as wiping the slate clean of any potential dietary triggers that they can't see when they're yep. in their normal diet because there's too many foods and it's too tricky to work out what i ate yesterday or was it what i ate three days ago so they kind of use carnivore as an intervention and then they can gradually 
add in single foods to make sure that they're not then going to be consuming any triggers to their current health conditions. But again, it's an intervention. It's not a long-term strategy. Um, Yeah, it's basically an exclusion diet. That's basically what it is. 100%. Just a really clean, yeah, clean, low reactivity diet. Just to, and we call it a diet because it's a intervention, mm-hmm. not because it's a lifestyle. It's a low reactive intervention, not a low reactive lifestyle. Because a low reactive lifestyle would actually uh, then cause you to be highly reactive when you get exposed to things that you're not eating anymore. Yeah. So we've got to be really mindful of that, that the more you exclude from your lifestyle, Um, the harder it will be to bring those things back in at any point in the future. So you've got to find a way in which um, you get a collection of foods that you desire, that you like, that work for you, um, that fit into a model of health and well-being, um, preferably within the parameters that Steph and I are talking about, and um, and then, you know, build a lifestyle around that. And then it will take maybe a little bit longer for you to get the net result, um, but it'll be more sustainable as opposed to racing to the finish line and then crashing at the end. Yeah, 100%. And, look, I've always got an open mind when it comes to new things that come come into the space, um, but I also cannot get my head around what the gut health strategy is in that carnivore picture because what are we feeding our microbes? Protein? Like, and protein and fat. Like, you think about yeah. that. It, it makes it's an absolute nonsense like it just doesn't it doesn't stack up um, and if you throw all of the work of the last let's say six years around gut health into the air and just dismiss all of that um, just so you can promote the carnivore diet um, you're doing a disservice to humanity I reckon and what concerns me about the protein element obviously it's going to be really high protein being a meat-based diet is we know that if there's meat and not enough fiber that the our bacteria will eat the gut wall so that we will create leaky gut because there's not enough fiber for those bacteria to live on and that's a huge problem with protein diets yeah huge problem huge problem and then there's hyper reactivity so that's where people get this hyper reactivity and then um immune challenge as a result of you know what we would call leaky gut which is leaky gut but being brought on by something that you thought was actually healthy but it's not it's just somebody else. It's kind of like that. What was that protein powder thing that you said before? What was the name of that company? Um, Ultralight. The multi-level marketing. No, the no the oh, uh, multi-level marketing. Isogenics. Like, you, if you take real food out and then supplement it with chemicals like that, that's just not going to cut it. That's just yeah. not going to work. It's a again. It just doesn't make sense. I think you know if we are to go sensibly into the future uh, with this, it's probably our request would be that you would. Um, you'd be sensible about it, you know, ask some questions. Hmm, does this really make sense? Um, if the answer is no, then stay away from it. Um, yeah. this, would this grow on trees or did this once walk around? Um, if the answer is no, then probably stay away from it, you know. It's, uh, you've got to kind of ask yourself those questions. A hundred percent. You do not need a degree in nutrition to read an ingredient label and think that maybe fructose and then 4,000 other words is perhaps <laughs> not the best choice for your long-term health. Uh, the thing I hate the most is when someone's been doing it for a week and they go, I feel the best I've felt <laughs> in 30 years, you know. Uh, they do a detox of, you know, some ilk that's cost them 500 bucks to do a detox um, with some sachets of 
um, powder that they bought from some other marketing company. And they say, I feel the best I've ever felt. Mm. You've got to get on it because it's the best. And really what that is is a justification for them spending 500 bucks. Yeah. It's, um, it's not real. I'm a bit, maybe because I'm getting old, maybe I'm getting skeptical, but um, I do like the idea of doing a detox. I love the idea of lightening the load on the body. I love that, but it shouldn't cost the earth and it shouldn't be coming from loads Well, it definitely pain. should be free if you really think about it. Maybe yeah. a couple of supplementary um, ingredients, but, yeah, obviously yeah. real food focused. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cult though, so that's, that's a whole why, other conversation. That's why, this, that's why you do the real food real, and that's why you're the natural nutritionist because that's philosophy. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> I'd like to think I have some common sense, um, but, yeah, I encourage everybody to ask those questions i think that was a really good point that you raised because it's about anything in the health space like is it real food but also what is the motive going back to what we were saying before around that whole instagram influencer and where you get your information from like what's the motive we've really got to be careful of that because it's a huge space it's a trillion dollar industry and and it's easy to might not be easy for some, but I mean, in some cases, we can get tricked. And so it's just making sure you ask the right questions to avoid that in the long term. Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. Here we are again at the end of another podcast, agreeing on everything that we've both just said. <laughs> we should be more contentious. <laughs> what what, what jeopardy know. have we got? Is there well, any jeopardy? We'll have to chat about We might have to talk about parasites for a little bit of conflict, maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe yeah. a little. Yeah, I'd love to talk about parasites. Yeah, for sure. Let's Mm. do that. Damo, as always, I'm very grateful for your time and I know our listeners are too. Thank you for joining us and we'll speak again very soon. Thanks for having me on, Steph. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.